Najib Bufar, thank you very much for taking my call. It's my pleasure. I'm, I thank you for having an interest in this file. Now, you are, of course, uh, speaking from Illustat, uh, Greenland. Um, earlier today, there was a signing ceremony. Tell me, what was it like? Oh, it was, uh, it was a proud moment, a proud moment for Canada and all of the um, nine other participants uh, to this negotiation process that led to an agreement to prevent unregulated high seas fisheries in the Central Arctic Ocean. So we've reached this historic, legally binding agreement with eight other countries and the European Union to prevent unregulated fishing uh, in the area that's outside coastal states' waters so on the high seas in the Central Arctic Ocean. And it's historic because it's the first time that an international agreement of this magnitude has been reached before any fishing has taken place in uh, an area in a region of the high seas. No. Under this agreement, uh, all parties have agreed that no commercial fishing will take place in the high seas uh, while we gain b a better understanding of the area's ecosystem and until we have appropriate conservation management measures established to actually regulate that fishery. So it's a very strong, proactive, precautionary approach that's been taken by the countries around the table um, and to prevent uh, unsustainable fishing uh, in the Central Arctic Ocean. Now, from from what I understand, you've been on this file uh, for ma many years. How does it feel personally? It feels great. I think this is uh, a great legacy to generations to come, and in particular to uh, the Inuit, the Arctic's Inuit people, who are reliant on uh, the natural resources uh, for at food source, uh, for cultural and spiritual purposes. Um, and so we're talking about fisheries, uh, but as you know, everything is interlinked in nature and in the ecosystem in the Arctic. Uh, if we didn't do anything to prevent future overfishing of stocks, uh, these stocks are also a food source to marine mammals on which the Inuit depend. So it's, it's all interlinked. So it's important that we make sure that we put uh, we go gather the knowledge because we have very little knowledge of this area um, and it's still iced up for most of uh, the part of the year. Um, but we are seeing some major changes happening uh, in uh, the ice in the environment because uh, of warming weather and climate change. Uh, that it is important that uh, we take some steps now to prevent uh, future fishery from happening without making sure that we understand what's out there what the impacts of fishing uh, could have on a marine ecosystem and making sure that we have conservation and management measures in place before the activity starts. And there have been some cases around the world where we've not been, governments have not um, been able to act quickly enough to prevent that from happening. We've seen the, the consequences of that, some stocks collapse um, uh, around the world because there were no management regime in place to regulate the fishery. So it's, it's actually the first time that countries are able to get together and be preventative, uh, making sure that they've agreed to doing some science and research together to have a better understanding of the ecosystem um, and understanding the implications and the impacts uh, that fisheries could have on the ecosystem and the fish stocks uh, before the fishery actually takes place. 
Now, what are some of the next steps? I mean, the the agreement has been signed, uh, as you said, by nine players, so eight countries plus the European Union on behalf of the European Union member countries. Um, does it have to get ratified? When does it actually enter into force? That's all good questions. You've mentioned the three steps. So signature is the first step. The second step is to ratify. Every country has a different process to do that. In Canada, it will require us to table the agreement uh, in Parliament for 21 sitting days so that Canadians can uh, be informed of the content of the agreement uh, and the scope of it, uh, after which we will be seeking uh, authorization to ratify the agreement. That will be done through our Minister of uh, Global Affairs. Um, and um, once all 10 of us, so European Union, um, the, the coastal states, so Canada, the U.S., Norway, Denmark on behalf of Greenland and the Faroe Islands, uh, Russia, and uh, the other states have joined the process, so the European Union I mentioned, Japan, Korea, China, uh, and Iceland, once all of us have ratified the process, uh, the, the agreement, then the agreement comes into force. And that really uh, is when the ob obligations kick in. Having said that, uh, we all recognize that we've got a bit of work to do before we actually can implement the agreement. And, and a, an important piece of that work is to actually agree to a joint science pro uh, program. We've all agreed that we're going to cooperate together on the jo joint science program, and now we need to flesh it out together. Uh, so we don't need to wait till uh, the agreement is actually ratified by everybody to start that work and to begin that dialogue. And so that would be a, a step to be taken uh, after that. And will this uh, uh, joint science program be run through, for example, the Arctic Council or um, through just uh, this multilateral mechanism that you established for this uh, negotiations? So that's part of the discussion that needs to be had, is what will be the mechanism to do uh, this work, this science work, and uh, countries uh, will get together to talk about which which vehicle, which uh, existing or new mechanism could be generated to conduct and do this science. Um, there's no doubt that, and countries around the table have agreed and recognized the current work that's been done uh, in existing international organizations, including the Arctic Council and its working groups, um, and, and as well other science groups, organizations that exist, but also some science work that's been done outside of these organizations by academia, uh, scientists uh, around the planet uh, have a lot of interest in the Arctic. There's been a lot of work and research done, uh, so we need to factor all of that information and that knowledge uh, into that's relevant to uh, managing any potential fisheries on, in the Arctic. Hmm. And Canada has done some science work, right? So uh, most of the science work we've done is inside our Canadian zone because that's where the activity is currently taking place. Uh, and that information is quite relevant because everything is interconnected in the ecosystem. Um, and so uh, what occurs inside our zone uh, uh, in our area can impact on what happens on the high seas and vice versa. So uh, we will uh, definitely uh, start from, we're not starting from scratch is what I'm saying. 
Now, of course, this uh, uh, you know future fisheries management system, uh, as you said, uh, is in uh, the area of the high seas. Uh, how do you think the unclose uh, process of determining the continental shelves of the the Arctic coastal states uh, uh, might be uh, uh, might impact this uh, whatever is happening with uh, this uh, this agreement? So the agreement is, is explicit in, in that, first of all, it, it recalls the obligations and principles uh, under the UN Law of the Sea Convention and implementing agreements that are relevant here, such as the UN Fish Tax Agreement. Um, it's so so that, that is the basis. It's the Bible, if you want, for um, the rulemaking associated to oceans and fisheries in particular. Now, having said that, uh, what... Um, the agreement also provides that it doesn't um, and should not affect uh, countries' rights associated to their shelves, their continental shelves. And, and so the, the description of the shelf shouldn't impact uh, the obligations that we've all committed under this agreement um, in respect of um, sustainable management, doing research, and uh, in the meantime, preventing any commercial fishery to take place uh, in that area. Now, uh, are there any kind of enforcement? I mean, you said this is a binding agreement, but um, are there any uh, mechanisms to see that nobody else uh, uh, is, you know, doing commercial fishery in the area? You have the distant fishing, the big distant fishing powers like, you know, China, Iceland, Japan in this agreement. Uh, but um, what prevents other states uh, with this capability of going in at some point in the future and starting a commercial fishery? Well, um, that's a really, really important question you just raised. Um, needless to say, this agreement currently is between uh, uh, 10 participants. Once the agreement is in force, we all recognize as participants that we will need to invite others to join uh, the agreement. Uh, uh, and many of uh, countries around the world have agreed, you know, that the philosophy associated to uh, sustainable management um, and the need to make sure that we have sustainable fisheries around the world and to respect the rules that have been put in place uh, is something that has been discussed uh, over the years with uh, uh, countries that are members to the uh, FAO, the UN Fish. Um, Food and Agriculture Organization that manages, uh, in part, fisheries at a global level, as well as uh, the UN, have talked about the need to make sure that uh, countries are responsible and are acting responsibly. So uh, in the context of the UN Fish Tax Agreement, for instance, countries who are party to that agreement have agreed that they will not undermine when there's separate regional agreements such as this one, they will not undermine the, the obligations under the, and the rules applicable to fishing uh, in those areas. Uh, so to the extent that those other non-members are also parties to the UN Fish Stocks Agreement, they would have an obligation not to undermine the commitment we've made here not uh, to fish uh, in that area. Um, the, uh, of course, the 10 participants, once party to this agreement, have agreed to also use uh, their um, capabilities uh, to uh, monitor the area, 
uh, and uh, to make sure that uh, nobody undermines the agreement and to take steps to make sure that they don't undermine the agreement. So there are ways uh, to achieve this among the 10 of us working together cooperatively. We have examples of that kind of cooperation from a monitoring and enforcement perspective elsewhere in the world, uh, whether it's on our west coast or east coast of Canada and elsewhere, where countries collaborate together to make sure that uh, those illegal activities don't occur. Uh, and that's the approach that we would take place in the Arctic. When do you expect uh, this, uh, this to uh, actually be presented in the Parliament, in the Canadian Parliament? Uh, that I can't tell you. We don't have a, uh, we've just signed the agreement, so obviously I need to come back home and work with uh, our uh, colleagues in our fisheries department as well as uh, with our global affairs department and our minister's offices to uh, and figure out a time frame for that. But we're hoping that it's going to be done quickly so that Canada can be one of the first ones to ratify the agreement. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking so much time to speak with me. I'm, I'm happy. I thank you for your interest in this. This is a, a really important agreement for Canada, for uh, the Arctic Inuit peoples, and, and for all participants. And, and it's actually a, a good news story for globally for demonstrating uh, cooperation uh, and uh, sustainable development, frankly, uh, for uh, the Arctic. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased uh, and very um, very proud of this moment, and Canada should be proud of this moment, uh, given our leadership in this process. So are you going to celebrate? Yes, absolutely, tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck, and um, have a safe travel back to Canada. Thank you so much.